Hello, Tallahassee. This is the Gospel on the Radio Talk Show. I am Pastor Jack King. I am your host. And, uh, well, I'm just always excited to be with you on Sunday mornings here on WTSM 97.9, your sports monster. We're on Sunday mornings from 7 to 8. We talk about dreams and visions at a church triumphant, alive and well. This is show number 937 today. We do have a few rules. We don't talk sports, politics, doctrine, but we do always speak well of one another, and that has served me very, very well now for about 18 years of doing this show. And I am delighted to have in the studio with me uh, Brother Tim Peck. He is the uh, Worship Arts Director at the First United Methodist Church in Thomasville, Georgia. Brother Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to having Tim here on the show. Uh, Thomasville, Georgia, for those who may be listening on the internet Mm -hmm. and they're not familiar with the area that we live in, you live in Tallahassee. Yep. But you travel every day to Thomasville, Georgia. I downsized from a Ford Explorer to a Hyundai Elantra for the gas mileage to make the trip just about every day. And how far is that from, from, that you have to drive every day? It's about 30 to 35 miles, depending on where in town I'm at. Right. That's why I wanted the radio audience to know that, because we say well, Thomasville, Georgia, and we're Tallahassee, Florida, but really it's not far. Of course, Tallahassee is just right on the, near the state line mm-hmm. of Georgia, and so we kind of have that uh, Georgia flavor here in Tallahassee. Uh, what is it that old saying that used to, they used to see around Tallahassee? We're a city with a southern accent, or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I always heard it that, that Tallahassee was a little bit more... Uh, Southern Georgia than North Florida. There you go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Thomasville, is, they call it the Rose City. That's right. And uh, and you are the uh, worship pastor there. Now, how long have you been there in that position? Uh, this will be about 13 months. So 13 months. when I first got up there, I, I transitioned over from, um, I was a teacher for eight years. Uh-huh. A Most of that time, seven of those eight years, I was a chorus and guitar teacher at a middle school okay. here in town and was doing part-time ministry. I've actually started at your church. is the first church right. that I, I was at um, back when it was First Church of the Open Bible. Right, right. Um, Joined through the, through the youth program there and, and continued with worship ministry part-time while I was teaching. Right. And then, um, and I was over at a, at a Methodist church here in town. And... The opportunity presented itself to uh, one of my other chorus teachers in the county who was the traditional worship arts director at the church in Thomasville heard through a mutual friend that I might be interested in transitioning to full-time ministry on the contemporary side. And I, it turned out to be exactly the kind of job that would have uh, encouraged me to move away from teaching, and I still teach in what I do. Sure, not in a traditional so classroom. You're still a teacher. You're just teaching uh, things that are more t- toward the gospel, right? But you are a public school teacher. That's right. And uh, trained in music. Music is your your heart and your life and your passion. That's right. And uh, and uh, I, I thought about that. I said, uh, how how is it that music became so much a part of your life? And then I got to thinking about your father, because mm-hmm. I know your dad, John Peck. Yep. And uh, I know he's he's one of these guys that grew up listening to the music that I would have listened to mm-hmm. as a kid, because we're about near the same age. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, of course, I, I was one of those guys that was always listening to the radio, 
when I was young, listened to the pop music at the time, mm-hmm. but I never paid much attention to who I was listening to. I was just just listened to the music. But your dad, <laughs> he he is an, he is someone who reads the liner notes on yeah. the album, and that that <laughs> right, that right. I take after him in that regard. Right, right. But he can tell you, oh, that's so and so. I mean, he can right. pick out the song, tell you who the artist is, and and I, I can't do that. I could just, oh, I like that song. I remember that song, but I don't know who's who sang it. Well, and and music has just it's always been there i can remember listening to tapes uh one one tape in particular that had a little bit from elvis a little bit from the beatles a little bit from tom petty there may have been some other songs in there but those are the ones that i remember singing those songs with big big old headphones and the um the kind of the cable that coily uh, cable there i remember sitting in front of the cd player the tape player in my parents house listening just all the time learning those songs and then i eventually started playing piano at an early age and uh, moved over to guitar playing wanted to play in a band thought i was going to be a rock star for a long time until someone very wise told me if you don't want to teach kids don't be try to get get a music teaching degree which is what i thought was going to be my fallback plan right i was going to go to school as a music teacher and then try to try to make it uh-huh and okay. i was encouraged to reconsider that uh-huh. and it was some of the best advice i've ever right. gotten and it was it was if you want to teach kids then go be a teacher if you don't then don't and i realized right soon after my favorite people at that time were music teachers they always had been Oh, part really? of my life wow. some of my wow. absolute favorite people and i realized by the time i was about 16 that's what i wanted to do so you were just drawn to the music yep and, and I, I was thinking about this just now talking about your dad but also your mother mm-hmm. uh I'm, I'm one of these people i have a up, upstairs here in the church here where we're recording i have this big box full of 45s okay now, now for those who don't know what a 45 is <laughs> those are records yep that, that was the, the bottom shelf of the right, cabinet right. this, this is not the albums this is the, the singles you'd have an a side and a b side and i've got all these old records up there and i it's songs that nobody else in this world should ever know except <laughs> your mother oh yes <laughs> one, one day we were just sitting around talking and i started mentioning songs and she knew them i said nobody else knows these i am songs. confident <laughs> that my mother's background and yours in so many respects are very similar she right. grew up in west florida uh, she got the girl. Right? Yeah, yeah. It grew up on a farm. <laughs> right, right. So she, right. small church. <laughs> so yeah. we and we very much have that account. But I was just amazed. I mean, I'm talking about the Tennessee Toddy. <laughs> that is her domain, not mine. <laughs> yeah, but see, see, you've never heard of that song. No. And I bet most of this radio artists never heard of the Tennessee right. Toddy. But your mother knew the Tennessee yes. Toddy. I said, wow. So music, you just grew up in a house with music. And, and there, there's some combination of natural inclination right and a desire to continue working at it right now i knew since i was about 10 9 or 10 i wanted to play pop songs i wanted to play rock and roll i wanted to play the soundtrack of disney movies so i would go to my piano lessons and even though i'd play some of the classical stuff in my preparation a warm-up piano a keyboard with headphones i would pull out the disney albums disney uh, songbooks to play and you could play them the the ver- yeah what what the the level of music I was reading I, I could do that right. and so my piano playing gave way to a desire just to play guitar and and so I I always had classical background mm-hmm. but my interests were more on the popular side so bringing that back to the ministry that I started doing full time I was involved in the contemporary side but I was a choir director 
I was a chorus teacher. Right. And that's where I spent most of my time for seven years. And that's where the majority of my training came in. And so when the opportunity presented itself uh, last summer to potential, I was going to be the interim traditional director as well for a month uh-huh. just to help them out. Traditional right, person right. was leaving, moved actually to Kentucky. Um, and I realized in that preparation, I was being called to do that too. Huh. I was called to still be a choir director. Wow. And so they, it, it was a negotiation where I said, okay, Lord, how's this going to work? I don't think I can stay in Thomasville two nights a week. But they worked it out so that I could go from one rehearsal to the next on a Wednesday night. Because when you first took the position mm-hmm. at the church, right. your work was to work with a traditional no, no, my no, work no, was no, with the contemporary that's right. service right. and to do... What the sound, or were you? No, no, I was to be the worship leader. The worship so I leader. was the one who was uh, leading Which is the band. Your background, because you, you've done that for us for, for many, many years. And yes, that was the church. that was something that was consistent, with the exception for about a year, where I went to be only the audio person at the Methodist Church here in town. Right. Uh, when I after I had been there about a year, I transitioned to be a co leader of their contemporary service and did that for about a year and a half before this position came available. Okay, so it was it was a matter of what would draw me to a church. If they had asked me at the time, and they joked about it, but if they had asked me at the time to do both uh-huh. or just to do traditional, I would have said that's not for me. Uh huh. Well, no, because that's not your background, right? Right. So because, I had because been, you laugh at contemporary and, and most young people now they do. I well I had been I had been leading contemporary. I was involved in the production side of traditional though, and that's that's that was the key. Had I not served as the audio person in the traditional services, I would have been clueless. But I I saw third or right. second hand what was involved with all of that. So I knew the ins and outs of. Right. The result of the preparation for that. Because you're not like me who grew up in a church all my life and you know learned all the songs and the, no. the hymns and stuff. When you started coming to our church here, mm-hmm. you were you were a teenager That's at that right. time. And we sang a, a, some of the hymns, so, so you had some exposure mm-hmm. to that, but not like somebody who had done it all your no, life. No, it, it was... It was a, nowadays, a lot of the folks who are leading churches are leading worship in churches in the contemporary side are my age and so when we talk about youth group songs we talk about the music that I came right. that I was playing back in 2003 2004 right, right. here um, and that's at, at Open Bible Church and, and so those songs some of them are still around but those are the ones that I can think of and, right, and you know haven't right. played those aren't the the good old hymns sometimes now when I'm leading and I throw in something like in the garden right I would not have known that except that song except for it was put up on a transparency at first church of the open bible right. on a wednesday night <laughs> and I came to know those songs and so sometimes now when, when I program those songs because they fit with the scripture lesson of that week I might get an email from a congregant that says, oh, thank you for including right, those. We right, grew right. up on those. But see, the, what you missed, the, the era that you missed mm-hmm. was between the hymns and the modern day contemporary music today, mm-hmm. there's a whole, uh, I mean, lots and lots of choruses. Right. During, during the uh, 70s of the charismatic movement, mm-hmm. the churches that they transitioned to these choruses. They right. were just they were just choruses. Yeah, and we sang them, and we sang them, and we sang them, and we sang them, and now they're kind of relegated <laughs> to the back room someplace. You know, the old uh, we used to have something called visual praise. 
Oh. And these were slides. Okay. Of the, and they were so small that nobody in the, of the older congregation could even see them when they were up on the screen. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the overhead that you mentioned, we yeah. put them on the overheads, okay. and we'd sing them and sing them and sing them. But, yeah. but I think you missed those. <laughs> I, uh, I missed a lot of those. Yeah. I did. Those would be songs like, uh, Has the Deer... Uh, yeah, right, dear. Right, yeah. and and that is now yeah. that is now a people now might call that a throwback song. Sure, that's yeah. a song, but but that's also one. And, and to your point, that's one that was programmed in the traditional service a few weeks ago for one of my choir members to sing as a solo. Really, and it was not uncouth. It wasn't taboo. I wasn't going to get a, song. I wasn't yeah. going to get an email complaining <laughs> about a contemporary song in that right, service right. because it it fits. Right. Because of what you're saying, the that would have been maybe maybe on the slightly older adult side of music that was contemporary in its day. Right. But see, that's the thing about it is that those songs was the rebellion at the time. Right. In other words, you say, well, the that would if that song that like we say a. Uh, uh, and not I'm, as the deer painted. What are some of the others I'm trying to think of? Anyway, if if you hear some of those songs now, you say, "Well, those are for old people." But right. but they were young people when they sang the of songs. Course. But the problem is, is that you don't stay young forever, <laughs> and then your generation moves on. Well, and that's something I hope that my generation <laughs> deals with that transition. And we won't, of course, we won't. I mean, it's just natural. But I hope that we deal with it with a little more perspective because I know that I certainly will try to mm-hmm. because I've seen and, and we've saw in this congregation even when the two different sides of worship, the two different formats were put in the same room at the same time, no one was really happy. No, no. And that's a, that, no. we call that a blended service. That, right, that right, doesn't... Right. And we went through this at our church. And, huge, huge difficulty. Right. Yeah. And I think it, it, there's something to be said for the fact that it is okay for people to prefer and come into all of the aesthetics of a particular worship style and yet still recognize that another type of worship is valid. Uh, absolutely. If it's theologically grounded, but that doesn't mean that they that one person has to automatically right. engage in this other style. You know, it, I think it's it's a really healthy thing, and I've. I was glad that the church that I'm now at in Thomasville has had two distinct services because they recognize that it's not about people attending your church and numbers and that sort of thing, but people have preferences and they wish to engage in a certain sure. experience of worship that they've kind of come up with. Right. And it's their their way to express their worship. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to put somebody in a, a different mold right. when it's just... It just doesn't work for them. And someone like me who has sort of one foot on both on both sides of the fence, where I draw the line is when I see certain other characteristics of worship that are engaging more in self-aggrandizing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we look at a lot of the bigger ma- mainline or, or even in non-denominational, but, but the ones that are the most notable, the most visual, the most retweeted the most shared churches now that are producing music that uh, Hillsong Elevation some of these that that are producing a lot of the the more popular works right now we see the visual side of it we see we consume the product but we don't see the process that got them to that point Right, right and so what's really important for me is that when we're when I've got a team 
that I'm trying to make sure that they understand what we're attempting to do, it's not only about, well, we may not have as many instrumentalists as they do, mm-hmm. vocalists. We don't have the size stage. We don't have the lights and all that kind of... We have some of that, but we don't have all of it. We, we want it to work together in our space, and we want to make sure that the process of preparing our hearts for worship is going through certain steps so that regardless of whether it looks or sounds exactly like that church, it will be rooted in a similar theological right, practice. because it, has, it, it does. It comes back to the individual heart. That's right. The individual expression of worship, and you hope that whoever created that song, that they were moved by the Holy Spirit to do mm-hmm. so, and, and there's an anointing that goes with it. And the thing about it is that, like for somebody, from, say from my generation or another generation, if that music just does not work for them, then it just doesn't work for them. And and, and I, I, I'm like this. I don't want to be so adamant in, well, it's got to be my way, or they say they're my way or the highway. No, I think that people should find their expression of worship. But still, uh, this generational thing's hard to move, move away well, from. And I'll say this, too. I know this about myself. I've always I've always been in both camps, or or right. at least I, I've never been in a single camp on anything. I've always been a guitarist and been a singer, or I wanted to teach audio and and. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had a hard time saying this is the one thing that I'm going to do. Right, right. And so I know that about myself with worship, and not everybody is that right. way. But it's really been a blessing to have. The grounding of traditional worship mm-hmm. and the colors that you can paint with right. from a, a standpoint of beautiful music making and then taking that and putting that into right. contemporary worship. And then, then you go what they call high church, and which right. I'm, I'm not even familiar with that at all, mm-hmm. but in, in, in some of the churches I understand, I mean the worship is more... Or the music is, is a whole lot of organ. And, and, and that is our traditional it, service. It, really? We, we are blessed yeah, with an yeah. amazing organist named yeah. Stephen Turner. Because my, my experience pretty much has been in country churches. Right. Or even in, in our church back when you were here, and we were in this building that we're recording from right now, we, we did have the organ and the mm-hmm. piano. Mm-hmm. But it still had a country twang to it. And, <laughs> and that, that's been... Right. I, I, get, I, I chuckle a little bit when I read the way that in the Methodist hymnal, some of those songs that we used to sing on the transparencies, they're they're very square in the hymnal, and it's not it's not got the drawl that <laughs> that we used to worship with on right. Wednesday nights. Right, and but that's where, and of course you go you go across the country, and you go visit little churches wherever, and and they're they're expressing their worship in, in whatever Absolutely. way they, with whatever abilities they have. One of the things that that uh, you made a, a dent in my whole experience with all this was a book uh, that um, talked about, it's, the name of the book is called The Verge. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was written by two megachurch pastors, and one of them was named Ferguson. I don't remember the other guy, mm-hmm. and I don't remember where they were from. But they made a very good point because what, what they were, what was happening, and, and of course, uh, this whole thing about the traditional a music that's so popular now mm-hmm. it's had its roots in in what I was talking about earlier as far as the the choruses and, and things like that disrupted a lot of churches right and of course when the contemporary began to come in a lot of churches they, they split up all this kind of stuff over this and it started in the Pentecostal churches mm-hmm. because the Pentecostal churches uh, also have the uh, expression of, of allowing the Holy Spirit to move as mm-hmm. we 
we view it in the Pentecostal church. Right. So what's happened is that a lot of smaller churches and stuff say, well, let's, let's change our music to contemporary so that mm-hmm. we'll draw young people. Right. Okay. Right. But their point in the book, they said, you know, that's, that's a wrong way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Because what they said was simply this. He said that there's only about 40% of the population that's going to embrace that kind of music whatever you do. Mm-hmm. That means you're writing off 60% of the, yeah. of the whole population. Mm-hmm. Their point was this. He said, it's not about contemporary music. It's about doing music well. So whatever right. you do, whatever, if you are a fiddle playing, banjo playing, big bass guitar congregation, do it well. Now you sound like a music teacher. <laughs> this go. was the challenge of, of helping 12, 13, 14 year old kids appreciate opera uh-huh. appreciate classical music to be able to sit and listen and analyze and critically reflect on what's going on and we one of the things i was most proud of when i was in in the educational field was bringing in florida state's fantastic traveling opera that they would do each year they, it, they called it the opera outreach or the outreach opera and they would set up a set they would build a portable set constructed in our cafeteria and there would be a couple of hundred kids that would come watch this performance and the show itself the opera itself was engaging enough short enough in english a lot of slapstick comedy so that casual observers would be able to appreciate it just the same but it was the students that had been schooled up in my classroom right. watching different operatic performances with subtitles and with a lot of con- contextualizing that they could see oh this duet or this ensemble i see how the different theme you know they right. could they could go right. into it a little bit more which which was a wonderful thing if you can help someone to understand what is the aesthetic of contemporary worship what is the growing out of we've got this organ music and you've got these these hymnals that we have to hold. Why do we have to hold these hymnals? Why can't we just, and this is coming from the contemporary side. Right. Why can't we put these down? Have our hands in the air. I want to be excited when I worship. They right. saw a style that they viewed as, because the aesthetic was lost. And uh-huh. what, what you do when you convince someone that another style is better is that you disconnect them from the core aesthetic or you villainize one aesthetic versus another. And so it's what, what we, what, and I think this is to the detriment of when someone when someone wants to change, when they say we need to change, they need to examine, as, just as you're saying, they need to examine what is it that they are wanting to change. Are they wanting to change the outward appearance? Right. Because if that's what's happening and you don't have someone who breathes that kind of... And has the skills. And has the skills yeah, for yeah. then then it's not gonna be done well. Right. right, right it right. can't. Right, right. Let me just tell the radio audience this is the Gospel on the Radio Talk Show. I'm Pastor Jack King. I'm the guy that gets to do this every Sunday morning and I just enjoy it so much spending this hour with you on Sunday mornings. And I hope that you are, are a regular listener. If you are, let me know. You can call me five six seven one seven oh three. I love to hear from the radio audience. And um well, I'm just one of those people that, uh, as we've Brother Tim and I have been talking about here, I'm, I'm a little old school, but I, but I try. I'm not so old school that I say, oh, no, 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 we can't do that because, uh, you know, I, I took my congregation through a transition. <laughs> there was, it didn't go real well, but it, well, we did it. But anyway, 
I still love Southern gospel music. That's mm-hmm. that's that's me. On November seventeenth, I'll be we'll be putting together what I'm calling this year a Roots Music Sunday. A year ago, I called it Bluegrass Sunday. Okay. That's the tradition that I'd come up once a year. Get get a fiddle up on stage. If you have a banjo, get a banjo. Right. And I was really proud of the music we put it together last year. This year, I said I wanted to do more roots music, which would allow us to incorporate some of those southern gospel or things that weren't necessarily traditional bluegrass kind of music, and also music that that will permeate probably into both services, both spaces. But that's the challenge will be to make contemporary roots music in one and traditional roots music in the other. Well, now, on the Saturday Night Gospel Sing, mm-hmm. which is which airs Sunday, or Saturday night, 7 o'clock on 94.1, just get that out of the way, <laughs> I'm playing a song this week by the Pontius family. Okay. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's called The River, okay? And it sounds like bluegrass to me. Mm-hmm. But I talked to Mr. Punches, and he says, no, we don't do bluegrass. <laughs> but now here's, here's what he distinguishes. Yes, he says, when we're in our studio, mm-hmm. and maybe on that particular album, it might have been, he says, my son are, will come in and play the banjo. Mm-hmm. So his distinguishment was this. He says, if it don't have a banjo, it's not bluegrass. Right. If we can get hung up on particulars <laughs> and, and some, all day long. Some would say, if it don't have a fiddle, yeah. it's bluegrass. But now, I grew up in Kentucky. I know a little something about bluegrass, and it sure sounded like bluegrass. Well, you know, and some people will say this barbecue sauce is not real barbecue sauce if it doesn't have, you know, if it doesn't taste like cinnamon. Right. And this, you right. know, so, well, and, and that's, in fact, in, in the radio industry in Nashville, if it does not have certain musical features, Certain instrumentation, right? It will not get played on the radio, okay, on country now, radio. Now I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in there, but I don't want to get pulled in. That's it, right. Okay? I, I just want to make a comment. Listening, I told you before we went on the air that I've been watching on uh, W. It's a, the FSU channel. Mm-hmm. This documentary about uh, the country artists. I just been fascinated by by the background stuff, and I learned something that I did not know. And then most of the audience, when you hear this, you can say, well, "Everybody knows that," but I didn't know it. The difference between the Nashville sound and the Bakersfield sound, mm. and uh, uh, and evidently it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, like, so a lot of times when you hear a, a, a certain singer, they say, "Well, that's a that's a Nashville sound." And I guess the Bakersfield was a little bit more contemporary. Well, and see, this this also gets back to things that the church has been dealing with for a long Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Something along the lines of, you think about Ray Charles, and somebody hears Ray Charles' music, now we say, well, that sounds like Ray Charles, but if you were coming up when he was starting to break, mm-hmm. you would have said, oh, no, that's he's singing he's singing church music, but he's not singing about church. Uh-huh. Because people who were in that time period they could tell all the differences and, and just a little bit of difference here and there. Right, and you're going right, to say, oh, right. I'll point to those differences. <laughs> right. But I'll bring it back to if you, what's at the heart of the music that you're doing? And, and is, as far as scripture goes, you know, I want to make sure that the music that we sing on Sunday mornings is grounded in that. I want to know that I understand the ins and outs of it. And I, I actually, the reason I was pulling up my phone earlier was uh, not to be unkind. It was to, uh, I had the scripture on my phone here and I was reading this. I'm, I'm currently, I'm in seminary. And studying the New Testament, okay, and reading through Matthew, okay, and I must one of we talked about that I'm I'm aware of strengths and weaknesses that I've identified that I can work on, and one of those is that I have not read Scripture nearly enough in my life, okay. And I was reading through Matthew, and I'm still still working through Matthew, and 
But uh, Matthew 6. Okay. Beatitudes. He- yep. The heading <laughs> concerning prayer. Okay. Related to the discussion that we were talking about, visual aesthetics of contemporary worship music in particular. I'm going to read this passage. This is from uh, New Revised Standard Version. And whenever you pray, do not, this is verse 5, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward, but whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I'm going to interpret that, what you're trying to tell us. Okay. It's the fact that leading worship is the same way. In other words, you, you, there's, there's being in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit when you worship, or there's just getting up there and playing an instrument, and there's a big, huge difference. And I've, I've, I have led worship when I felt like it was a J-O-B. Uh-huh. And that's no way to lead worship. That no. that that is not fruitful. No, no. that's not fruitful any way around it. So it, that tells you that the musician, just like the pastor, mm-hmm. needs to be prayed up. And that's the songs. As you're picking out songs, you said, "Lord, lead me here. Right. I don't want to just just pick out some songs and throw them on the wall just so I can do this service." Holy Spirit, you lead me, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's very important. Uh, I do this. It takes me about an hour mm-hmm. or so to pick out the music for the Saturday night gospel sing. And I go through this every week. Right. It takes me an hour to record it, an hour mm-hmm. to pick out the music. But I don't want to just go and just start grabbing songs. And, no. and, and I'm listening to them, and I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I'm, and I'm just trying to get a sense of what the Holy Spirit right. is saying through these songs. Now, did you listen to my show? You go, I don't see anything there. But but to me, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, okay, oh God, you, as I'm pulling these things off the shelf here, Lord, you lead me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the worship leader needs to have that same mindset mm-hmm. as they come before the worship to lead the worship because they're leading the people. Well, th- this this was both a convicting idea to me and also one that was reassuring. The idea that, and this is something that was written really well. There's a book, um, Stephen Seaman's Ministry in the Image of God. And his argument is, if we look at the Trinity and different characteristics of the Trinity, personal relationhood, uh, complex simplicity, meaning there's some mystery to it that humans can't really understand. Joyful intimacy. These are characteristics that the Trinity has within itself, the way it relates to each other. Wow. And that's, that's how... Good. There's yeah, several characteristics there. That's how we need to be in our ministry. And coming across this, or within this study, it was written that we are not doing ministry. It's not our ministry that we should be concerned about. We are doing God's ministry. Wow. And so That's good. for me to realize that when I'm considering, when I've been up there leading and it feels like a job, it feels like a job because I've been doing my ministry poorly. I've not spent enough time in a quiet prayer closet making sure that what's that I am, that there's mutual indwelling, the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell within one another. That's good. Yeah. Am I am I taking Amen. part in that divine dance? Wow. Am I doing that for God's ministry, for God's mission? And that, that also, though, takes the burden off of me, not in a way that I need not be responsible, but that... It's it's God who's going to be working through all of this. You're being led by the Holy Spirit, right? right. And so, if I don't play 
as well as I did in rehearsal, God can still use that. And it's him that's working. It's not me. But I've I've learned, even before I was in church, or or maybe early on when I didn't really know what it meant, uh, the prayer of St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Wow. Right? And so the instrument is the tool. And so for me, music is most often the tool that I can use, a, a vessel that I can use, an instrument that I can use to communicate something. Wow. And so if that's the case, so important. can can so I yeah. can can my life serve then as that instrument, as that song that can communicate wow. the gospel. Let me tell the radio audience, I forgot to reintroduce you when we come back from the break. This is Tim Peck. He is a music uh, uh, arts worship. Worship arts <laughs> worship director. Arts at the First United Methodist Church in uh, Thomasville, Georgia. But what I wanted to do, let me just tell the folks a couple things that I want to transcend here. Absolutely. In the, in the interview. Uh, I'm the pastor of Freedom Road Christian Ministry, 720 Capital Circle Northeast. We're over by Tom Brown Park over there. If you're heading on the Capital Circle toward Park Avenue, look for us on the right-hand side, 11.05 on Sunday mornings. And the reason people ask me all the time is, why is your service why does it start at 11.05? And this is the gentleman that's responsible for that right here. Whoa, <laughs> because, that's right. <laughs> because he was at, he was doing sound over at Trinity Methodist. That's right. And then he was coming over to do our worship service, and he needed that time I sure did. To, to get over. So we set our service at 11.05, and that's what's on the door. And somebody said, well, when are you going to change it? I said, whenever we move someplace else and we change the door, <laughs> then we'll change it. Well, anyway. I'm not sure how I feel about that legacy, but I'll, I'll take it. Anyway, we'd love to have you come out and worship with us. Also, I mentioned the Saturday Night Gospel Sing. Saturday night, 7 o'clock to 94.1, a full hour of Southern Gospel music. Also, I'll do a daily broadcast on the 94.1. It's called The Gospel on the Radio Broadcast. It's a five-minute teaching of the Word Monday through Friday. Love to have you join us for that as well. And let me just mention my friends, Robin and Jim, AAA Constant Comfort. They do heating and air conditioning. And, well, they've been helping me do this show since we started back in 2002. They're great mm-hmm. guys, and they'll help you out. Eight nine three nine five six six. Now, brother Tim, you uh, now—I mean, you're you're in ministry, and that was a transition that you went from being a public school teacher. But uh, you are not a person who necessarily grew up in church. That's right. So how did how did this all happen? That you you got involved in church and eventually came to the Lord. One of the things that helps me helps inspire me to continue what I do with youth music right now is because that's how I got involved in church. Uh-huh. Now, I can't, can't overstate how important it was that I had been in a church when I was a kid. Uh-huh. My parents, my mom's urging us to, to find a church home. And we did for a little while. We went to Trinity Methodist, actually. I remember okay. running down those halls when I was a kid. But there was a, hum- there was a big gap. And I, I didn't feel like I went to church. It wasn't something that we did very often or for very long stretches. And I was someone who, who did not ascribe to a particular faith. In fact, I would say that I was more of a ridiculer. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. I would ridicule people who were strong in their faith. Um, in middle school, everybody ridicules everybody about something. Okay. So, but I, know, I, I remember in retrospect that when I was in eighth grade, I said, I kind of want to know more about 
church. And mm-hmm. I remember I might have said some vulgarities or something at some point, and my friend said, you need Jesus. Now, he may have been kidding, uh-huh. but I don't think so. I, th- I think that was important for me to no. hear, and it kind of set me back a second. I thought, what in the world does that mean? I mean, he meant it. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit can use something like that. Right. Yeah. So, and my, my father's family from New Jersey, he grew up in a Jewish household, but they weren't, he was not as active as his father continued to be. So, for me, I said, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm half Jewish and all this stuff. I, I just wanted to belong. That's what kids want to do. They want uh-huh. to belong with something. And that's what I wanted to do. And But I, I got involved with a group of people when I got to high school who were practicing in their faith all the time. And I was invited with a group of these people to come play in a youth group, your youth group. Right. And I just wanted to come play guitar. I thought it was going to be fun. And then some of the things that you were saying, it kind of made sense. And it was presented in ways that I hadn't heard before. And got in with a group of people and, and just really started to enjoy it. Came out on Wednesday nights for Bible study. And and again, you can't can't overstate how important it was to see people who could have been my grandparents leading in prayer mm-hmm. and leading with their example and their witness and having them, because my grandparents lived, um, at that time they were still alive, at least my, on my father's side, my, my mom's parents passed away uh, in, the, in the 90s, but when I was early 2000s coming here, I didn't really have grandparental figures, and so finding those people and and you know the Jacksons right in particular they putting their leading on my life you know that that made a tremendous difference because I could have just as easily gone the other way I could have said I'm going to continue in this path this rock and roll lifestyle and gone into a lot of things that I I would now regret I didn't do those things because I was here Mm -hmm. and so then I can remember actually it's been about 16 years probably this weekend we went to Sunfest my first right, Sunfest right. and I remember I don't remember the name of the speaker but he had, uh, Brett or Bart I think or he would he would get real close to the microphone Brett, Brett Black yeah and he would that? chew his gum <laughs> while he spoke and he was a and he was a guy who who had amazing things to say to somebody my age and I remember on the Saturday evening I said okay alright God I'm, I'm with you and I and I, I had come to believe because of the lessons that I had been learning about, and continued assisting with worship. And eventually, as things changed, started to to do more leading in worship. And it was after high school that well, I, I have to tell you this though, what really what really got me, what. I'm sure a lot of people in their faith can relate to this, especially if you haven't grown up in it. You have what you might describe as some somewhat of a conversion experience. And then life continues. Uh-huh. And you, you are trying to put the new wine into the old wineskins, <laughs> and it's not a good match. Uh-huh. And you feel like your skin's crawling because you can't you can't decide. Well, should I be talking to these people? Should I be talking about my faith? Should I be trying to convert them right here on the spot? What do I do? You feel very insecure in your faith, very new in your faith, and you kind of go through a back and forth and a fire and cold and all this kind of stuff. And I can remember uh, my my language growing up early on not my, not my public language but privately was awful i mean just horrendous things that i would say to other people in private and jokingly never really mean spirited but just coarse language and i can remember there were, uh, the one time i did this at so um, i was 16 just turned 16 at a lunch table and i said something pretty profane 
And I can remember the expression on one of my friend's faces. She was just, it's like her skin crawled. This is gross. Uh-huh. And I, I was so shamed in that moment. And then that same, I thought, oh, what am I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't, I don't think I should be saying this stuff anymore. But I don't know what to do about that. That same weekend, I believe it was Tommy Avenger, came to the youth rally and preached Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed uh-huh. out of your mouth, yet that which yeah, is good Tommy's to use of edifying, preacher. Yeah. that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And I, that was the sign. <laughs> wow. that, that was the moment of transformation for me where I said, okay, there's, there's, there's something to this. Right. I had given my heart to God, but now I, something was pointed out to my face that I had already been thinking about, right, and right. the book was opened yeah. to that very see, page. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It though. is. Yeah. I've been I've been preaching this lately. I mean, something that God showed me in, in Matthew, uh, John chapter three, when Jesus came, or no, when Nicodemus came to Jesus mm-hmm. about the born again experience and exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And I've come to the conclusion that it's a spiritual thing. It's a very deep spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, people say, "Well, well, I just decided to follow Jesus." No, no, it, it's a spiritual awakening. Yeah, but. The transformation comes in a, in in, a, in the process. In other right. words, when a person, when they become spiritual, aware that they are spiritual and they serve a spiritual God, everything may not be perfect right at that moment. But God's going to begin to process what you talked to. That's a beautiful story mm. of God, the Holy Spirit. He comes in. He He cleans it up. Right. <laughs> but see. So much of our preaching is we're preaching toward get the, get your flesh straight, get your flesh straight, and uh, so God's kind of transcended my preaching, and I, I I'm more to preach. Hey, let's get your heart right with God, mm-hmm. and let's get these eyes open, realize that there's spiritual things happening, there's spiritual activity mm-hmm. all around you, and God 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 takes care of all these things. Well, and in, uh, in in the in the Wesleyan tradition we talk about the quadrilateral okay the four elements of faith formation you've got experiences traditions of the whatever it is that you're coming up in reasoning and scripture wow those all have to be together now john wesley would say that scripture has to have the highest impact you need to come back to the scriptures and keep reading. And so that, of course, speaks to me because I right. say I haven't been doing enough of that in my life. <laughs> right. So that that speaks to me, yeah. but it's got to be all of those things. And not until, in the story that I just told, not until I had the scriptural foundation did it click. Right, right. Um, and I also think something that I've come across, and I mentioned a couple of seminary things, something else I came across that really spoke a lot to me was that often, and and this is something that I've had to negotiate too, because I, I gave my heart to the Lord at a conference, and a lot of the, the conference, the design of it was to make sure that people knew that it was really important to give your heart to God, to give Him everything. Right, right. And you make a decision. But often, when we get back into our home churches, we're not, we don't learn how to become disciples. Right. And so, unfortunately, right. Yeah. And so, can we in in the line of ministry or in our own lives find a place where we're being transformed? Because the kingdom of God is not only about everlasting life, but it's also about the kingdom right. here on earth. Let me just mention this about this uh, conference that you've talked about. It's, yes. it's called Sunfest, and it's something that I started in 1987. And uh, it was not it was S O N F E S T, but. Uh, the thing about it is it bringing young people together mm-hmm. 
And then having a spiritual exposure there is such a powerful, powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And and I, I mean, because you, you, you talked about uh, how that you like to, to teach young people mm-hmm. because that's how God brought you to the faith. Right. And, and uh, I'm there too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to have these opportunities for young people to come together. Mm-hmm. And of course, through music and through the preaching of the word, and then just having a good time, mm-hmm. it's it's such a powerful thing that that uh, you know. Even though I'm a little older now and I got a little gray on top of my head, I still want to do those things because I see the power of it. That, it uh, when you're around adults all day long, you can you can there, there's going to be forgiveness there. When you get a lot of kids together, a lot of young people, even people as old as seventeen, eighteen. You got to get it right. Yeah, you got to get it right. It, it, it helps everything become more vital. We had a situation in our church last year where we'd gone through some transition with the youth program, and actually earlier this year, and we had some some transition. And we had to kind of scramble. We didn't know exactly who was going to take over youth and, and that sort of thing. And uh, we contacted the seniors from the senior class and realized that most of them were not currently involved in what we were doing. And wow. that right there, it, wow. we were devastated. And these were kids in the church. These were kids that had grown up in the church yeah. and had, see, this we're losing. because of failure yeah. of the yeah, church. Yeah, we're losing, we're losing so many of our young people out of our churches mm-hmm. because of these things. Now, in some circumstances, they may have been serving in other places, Yeah, but a lot of them weren't. Well, see, that, that, that type of thing breaks my heart. That's right. <laughs> it, really, it really does. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, let me just make put a little commercial in here. <laughs> I've started back doing youth again at our church, and mm-hmm. uh, I have had it done it for several years. And uh, Lord, just told me, well, this is this is my background. I mean, I've been a pastor, but youth has always been a part of what I do. And of course, radio broadcasting. But Wednesday nights, seven o'clock at Freedom Road. If you've got a young person, and and you need to get them plugged in someplace, bring them. A Freedom Road, 720 Capital Circle Northeast. Well, I'll tell you, if you bring your children there, what you're going to hear is someone who's made the right choices. Yeah. That was that, that. There were three or four moments in my spiritual formation, and one of them was actually when you preached at, I only went to camp one year, and there wasn't a speaker, each of the pastors in the in that area, those that were bringing their kids spoke, and you spoke about making the right choices, because you, you didn't, sometimes, sometimes, Sometimes we have moments where we were all the way in darkness and we were brought all the way into the light. And for you, it was more about staying in the light. Right. And that life, speaks, life is all about choices. And yeah. that <laughs> people too often think that you have to have that dramatic experience, the, the experiences where you, you give in to some of the more um, fleshly temptations or some of the other things where you can get caught up in adolescence. And your point was, you don't have to do that. No. You don't have to. And and that's something that I know a lot of people need to hear. And maybe with sometimes with, with youth programming, we get caught up, just like we were talking about with worship earlier, in the visual and the aesthetic. But when you're having a conversation with someone who says that they made the right choices right. and were blessed, right. Right. that is so oh, yeah. powerful. And that's what breaks my heart, is mm-hmm. it, as I have... Watch young people, and I've and I've ministered to hearts. I mean, young people all across Florida, yeah. camps and youth sunfest, all these things, and to see with these young people, so many of them, not to hear the message, and then you see them live these lives of pain, mm-hmm. 
And I want to say, no, you, you didn't have to make those choices, but you did, and now you're right. paying the consequences for them. Well, and what you pray in that moment is you pray, God, I understand that that was that person's journey, and it had to be their journey. Bring your blessing to that journey. Yeah. Now, of course, the one good thing about it, and I preach this a lot, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins mm-hmm. and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. And that's a promise of God. Right. And I, I, I want to make that a message often mm-hmm. to, uh, to any young person. If there's a young person that's lifting to, uh, it doesn't have to be young, but you've made bad choices in your life and, and the devil has come to you and said, hey, you're going to, You'll never be forgiven for those things. I'm here to tell you the devil is a liar mm-hmm. because God is all about grace and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I thank God for grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I tell you what, Brother Tim, it's been such a joy to have you here on the mm-hmm. broadcast. We got just a little bit little bit of time left, not much, but a little bit. And I just want to give you an opportunity just to share your heart. If you have something that you'd like to just say to this radio audience, and uh, I'll give you a moment just to collect your thoughts there. But something that the uh, Lord just may lay on your heart that you just want to just share, this is your time to do so. If not, we'll just move on to something else. So, Too often, we feel that we are alone, that we are isolated. And the device that I was referencing earlier that was in my hand right. has a way of exposing that. Right. It... it if the, if the work is not done to put a phone or technology into context, into perspective, it's very easy to become detached. Right. And we are living now, generationally, we're living for the immediate impact of decisions that we make to put a picture online or to make a statement, and we want that immediate feedback. But then that leaves us feeling alone when we don't have it. But what was, what's a blessing to me is that we believe in our faith that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was within Jesus Christ, is within us. Amen. Jesus is walking with us because He said He would never leave us. And God is always walking over us, watching over us. And He has a plan for us and so even when we feel that we are by ourselves, we're not truly alone. No. We're never truly alone. No. And so that, that gives me great comfort that even in the moments when I feel that I've not lived up to my own expectations, or if I feel that, that I've, I've somehow let somebody down, or that, you know, I'm singing a song this week um, written by members of Casting Crowds that says, um, you know, today I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you, meaning God, leaving me this way. And in the song it says that Jesus has shown us just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. And he's got us in his wow. embrace. And that's the thing that, you know, what, what, what's the mark? What are we trying to aim for in our life? And it's to rest within the blessing of God. Wow. And that's, that's something that, that I've, even in three weeks of being in seminary, I have, <laughs> that's been revealed to sure. me in fresh ways. And, and it's, it's it's something that gives me a lot of comfort. So I hope that it will uh, give someone else, a listener, some comfort right. today. And how long would it take you to finish your seminary thing? 
Uh, probably two and a half years. Wow. So, and you're doing all this online? Mostly. There will be a couple times when I go, in a couple weeks, I'll be heading down to Orlando, and there's a campus uh, down here. The not, I don't have to go up to Kentucky. Okay. So, yeah. Asbury, that's where you're doing uh, Yes, your Asbury Theological Seminary. And, of course, you have your bachelor's degree from Florida State University. That's right. And, of course, as we talked about earlier in the broadcast, Tim was a uh, pub, and taught a public school to middle school here for seven years. Was it seven eight, years? eight years total. Eight years. Yep, seven of which yes. were uh, were Fairview Middle School teaching courses. As a music director, and I, when he told me that he was going to Thomasville Road to, uh, not Thomas uh, Thomasville Thomasville Road. That's a, anyway, Thomasville to, uh, the Methodist Church become the worship arts director. I said, I don't really think they fully understand who they're hiring. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, sometimes they'll sometimes look at me and say, there's a lot going on yeah, up there, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with your background. Because that's normally churches don't don't grab people with that type of talent yeah. in the well, background. Well, but, uh, yeah. well, it's time for us to break. It's, uh, look forward to it. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we've had to share the gospel through talk. Father, I pray for Brother Tim and his family. Lord, God bless them in life and ministry. And Father, we pray over this radio audience, God, that you just let your hedge be about us, Father God. We pray for our churches today. We pray for our country. And we pray for peace in Jerusalem. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Till next Sunday morning, may the Lord bless you.